0: Matthew chapter 10 beginning at verse 16 Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves; therefore be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the courts, and scourge you in their synagogues, and you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake. As a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not become anxious about how or what you will speak, for it shall be given you in that hour what you are to speak. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father and his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death, and you will be hated by all on account of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who shall be saved. But whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you shall not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Let's see. As you are aware, as we go through the Gospel account according to Matthew, The whole purpose of Matthew's gospel account is to prove that Jesus is the promised Messiah to the Jewish nation. The forerunner of the Messiah, as you know, was John the Baptist, who came preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand, and that men should repent of their sins, and that they must approach God with a contrite heart, that is a humble heart, eagerly waiting for the Messiah who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus came, He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom, telling men that the the kingdom of God was at hand. Therefore, they were to repent of their sins and believe in the gospel, that is, believe in Him. We saw last week when Jesus called the twelve disciples. He empowered them to do All the things that Jesus himself was doing. He gave them the power to cast out demons, to heal all kinds of sicknesses, even to raise the dead. The apostles were likewise to preach the gospel of the kingdom that the kingdom of God had broken onto the human stage and that men should respond to that we noted as we ended the message last week that it was a very serious offense to hear the gospel message and then not favorably respond and repent and believe. Jesus said to his apostles that those people that would grant them uh, hospitality at least wherever city they went uh, to give peace to that uh, family But if it turned out, after their preaching, there was resistance to that. There was uh, obstinance to the gospel message. He said that they were to go out of that city, shake the dust off their feet, which was a sign of condemnation upon them for having rejected the gospel message. And then he said, Sodom and Gomorrah, those wicked cities, will be beaten with fewer lashes in hell. Than those who rejected the gospel message. So, <clears throat> the gospel we are told was to go to the Jews first, and then after Jesus' resurrection uh, and ascension, then they were to go into Judea to, to Samaria to the uttermost part of the earth. But we noted that as Hebrew, I mean, as verses uh, ten. Chapter 10, verses 5 and 6 says, "...they were not to enter any city of the Gentiles nor any city of the Samaritans, that they were to go only to the lost sheep of Israel." Now, as we shall look at in more depth next week, as we get to the the latter part of Matthew chapter 10, one of the things that we find in the Scriptures is that it is a great privilege and an honor to be one of Jesus' little ones. You know, later, uh, at the end of chapter 10, he refers to the disciples that he sent out, the preachers. He calls them my little ones. That's to keep everybody humble. You're just a little one. But as that little one... uh, we understand the little one is an ambassador nonetheless of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. They are the official spokesman of the King. And when they proclaim that gospel, then Jesus is there preaching through His little ones, His preachers. But with any uh, privilege and honor that goes with preaching the Word of God, there is great responsibility that goes with that privilege, and there is always great risk and great danger that goes with that. As where Jesus is going to make very clear, it will cost His disciples greatly to be His little ones who preach His gospel. And of course, when a faithful preacher preaches the Word of God, there will always be a risk in terms of you don't know how those are going to respond to the preacher's word. Let me just remind us what Jesus said. There are those who hate God, those who hate Jesus, and Jesus said there would be those people that his little ones would encounter. Now turn with me to John chapter 3 for a moment. John 3, verses 16 through 21. They're starting with probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does not who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Turn, then turn with me to John 15, and look at verses 18-23. through 23. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were in the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have had no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father also. So, what we see here, the risk that the preachers of Jesus take, or should I actually say the inevitability that will come their way to faithful preachers, is that there will be those who will hate what they say and will hate the ambassadors of the king. As Jesus said, they hate because they dwell in darkness. They have no part of me. They love the world. He says, you're not of the world. If you are of the world, the world would love you. But the world, he says, I called you out of the world. i are talking about the world system in rebellion against God. The Bible uses the word world in several usages and one usage is that it refers to, for example, that Satan is said to be the God of this world. That is the God of the world in rebellion to everything that is true of the Lord God. So Jesus said if they hated me, the Master don't think that they're going to hate you as well. He says, you're the slave. They will identify you with me, and they will hate you for my name's sake. And so <clears throat> there would be those in the apostles and in their preaching. He says, when they would shake off the dust from their as and leave one area that refused to believe, it would have consequences. In the beginning of our section that we're going to deal with today, for example, in Matthew 10, verse 16, Notice what Jesus is saying to the disciples. He's saying, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, you you know what wolves do to sheep. They attack and they will seek to devour sheep. It's the nature of wolves that will hunt sheep. Jesus is saying, metaphorically of course, he says, you are the sheep, I'm sending you out amidst the wolves who will want to attack you, who will want to utterly destroy you. That's where I'm sending you. He said there, he says now, it should be no surprise then if faithful preachers will be attacked and persecuted. In fact, he says, expect it. It's going to happen. But in that risk and in that expectation or that inevitability of the preachers of the Lord being persecuted, here's a very comforting thing that he says to his little ones. He says, "He says, I am sending you out. I am commissioning you. Now the Greek text is helpful here. And it it has a word in the Greek text that the English doesn't bring out. In the Greek, here's what Jesus is saying. I, myself, am sending you. The emphasis, myself. I'm the one sending you out. I know what I'm doing. I know I'm sending you out in a very dangerous mission. But here's the thing. I'm with you. Remember, the Great Commission, we're going to see later on in Matthew 28, uh, it ends in verse 20 where it says, I will be with you to the end of the world, to the end of the age, to accomplish all my tasks. And so the, the assurance that his preachers, his little ones, have is that though they are out amongst wolves, their Lord is with them. You know, despite the danger, the apostles should take comfort in that great Psalm 23, which part of that reads, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies." And so all of his preachers that he sends out, they have this assurance that their Lord is with them to the end, and despite the persecution, he's with them. They are not to fear, though they are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Now before I go on any further in our exposition of this whole section here, I must point out the necessity to understand the historical context. And that is that the section includes, or we may say, it primarily deals with, though not exclusively, with what happened to the the apostles during that almost 40 years between Jesus' crucifixion and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Unless you appreciate that, you're not going to understand the text and one verse that we're going to mention ahead of time here because it's important to understand. All these things that we're going to look at in verses 16-23, every one of them happened to the apostles up to 70 A.D. And we'll demonstrate that through the scriptures. So, as preachers, we must be faithful to the text to preach what it says, what it teaches. Now the key to understanding this section is to look at the front end and the back end. The front end being, again, I want you to look at Matthew 10, 5 and 6. He says, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then at the the end here in verse 23, what did he say? But whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next one. For truly, I say to you, you shall not finish going through the cities of where? Israel. Until the Son of Man comes. Now that's important. That they're not going to finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son comes. Would you say, what coming here? We're going to develop this more when we get to Matthew 24. Uh, but I remember, and I have mentioned this to you before in some Philly Sunday school class in the past, about Matthew 24, that <clears throat> that phrase, the Son of Man coming, doesn't always refer to the ultimate coming, the second advent at the end of the world. So when you go in Scripture, you got to ascertain what coming of Jesus are we talking about. For the time being, we're going to say this. And especially in the Old Testament, we're going to see that the Bible talks about the comings of God upon various nations, upon Egypt, upon Babylon upon Israel, but they were said to be comings of God in judgment due to their unfaithfulness. But they are they are said that God has come. He is coming to you. And using the phrase is, and we'll develop more when we get to Matthew 24, especially when it says He comes on the clouds. That phraseology coming on the clouds was almost exclusively used in the Old Testament to refer to judgment upon nations for their unfaithfulness. I'll jump ahead for a moment in Matthew. Okay, and we're going to look at, just turn to Matthew 26 for a moment. And look at verse 64. Jesus has been arrested. He's before the Sanhedrin. Caiaphas, the high priest, has been quizzing him. Uh, Jesus, when He was put under oath, when asked, are you, are you the Son of God, the Christ? And Jesus, at that point, says that He is. But then look at verse 64. Jesus says, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, the hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. You Caiaphas. Now, he's thinking Caiaphas was the high priest. It wasn't necessarily that Caiaphas would be uh, still living at that time, but we're talking about, since he was the high priest, and had authority in the Sanhedrin, Jesus' basic statement was to the rulers, the Jewish rulers of Israel, saying, you're going to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Now turn to Matthew 24. I know I'll develop this later more when we get to Matthew 24, but for the time being, look at Matthew 24. Look at verses 29 and 30. Several there things to note there <clears throat> the tribes of the earth is a phrase that's used commonly in scripture to refer to the nation of Israel. they were the twelve tribes of Israel remember and so it talks about they will see they will mourn Israel, Israel will mourn when they see him coming on the clouds with great power and great glory Jesus will come to them in judgment. Now remember Jesus in Matthew 23, He weeps over Jerusalem that they did not receive their Messiah. I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not come. And then He says, and He looks at the temple, not one stone will be left standing in this temple. Of course, the disciples are wondering, when is that going to happen? And we're going to see that Jesus, <clears throat> what, what did happen was, in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., the Romans did burn the temple. They did commit the abomination of desolation I'll refer to here in a moment. Uh, they did level the temple. Not one stone literally was left standing. And so that prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus came in judgment on the clouds against apostate Israel. So what we're saying here is Jesus says to his disciples, you're not even going to finish going to the cities of Israel when that terrifying event is going to come upon Israel for failing failing to believe in its Messiah. We're going to see that Jesus, the apostles, that uh, (coughs) this judgment, In nearly 40 years, the apostles now during this time, not only will they not finish going through all the cities of Israel, they will have taken the gospel to the Gentile world through the preaching of of Peter in Cornelius' household, and especially during the missionary journeys of the apostle Paul. Uh, They will take the gospel. But... So it will be begun going to the Gentiles, but they won't finish even in the cities of Israel when the judgment comes upon them. Now, how did Jesus' prediction actually come about? Well, the book of Acts is our definitive proof of everything that he says here. Now let me say this, and I have mentioned this to you. As we go through Matthew's account, you'll notice that I always bring in Mark, and Luke, uh, to buttress it because they bring out things that Matthew. Uh, it's not that Matthew forgot; they just emphasize certain things that one of the other gospel writers does it. So when you look at the whole picture, you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you get the whole you get the whole picture. Now it's interesting. <coughs> that these in Matthew 10, all these things that Jesus says in verses 16 to 23, you're going to find over in Mark 13 and in Luke 21. I'm just going to have us take a look at Luke 21 and demonstrate to you, he is referring to, that coming is a coming referring to the fall of Jerusalem. So turn with me to Luke chapter 21. And we're going to begin at verse 10. Then he continued by saying, Nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against nation, kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, plagues and famines, and there will be terrors, great signs in heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you, will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be delivered up by... Uh, by even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you'll be hated by all on account of me. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. Now I'm going to continue, but if you'll notice, everything that Luke says is what we did, did read in Matthew. It is the same thing. He's talking about the same events. But what Luke brings out here is something that Matthew does not Look at verse 20 and following. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of the city depart. And let not those who are in the country enter the city. Because... These are days of vengeance, in order that all things which are written may be fulfilled. So what Luke brings out, that Matthew does it, all of these events of being hated on, being delivered up, of, of families turning in one another, they're being persecuted, going into the synagogues and, and not being received, he says all of this is happening up to up to this surrounding of Jerusalem. Now Jesus is the one who said, and there's a lot of great historical uh, proof to this, especially in Josephus's Antiquities of the Jews, that when the Romans, the Romans. Attacked twice Israel in what was called the Jewish Wars. And one of the emperors uh, in his attack just for whatever reason they don't know backed off and in his backing off it provided a lot of time for certain people to escape. Guess who escaped? Those Christians who remembered what Jesus says when you see armies surrounding you know that the abomination, uh, her, her desolation, is at hand. And Josephus says the Christians fled literally on the housetops because he had flat roofs. They fled the city and they went to what is historically known as uh, <clears throat> para, I believe. Uh, in the mountains of Judea, about 50 miles away. There's no record of any Christians perishing in the fall of Jerusalem where 1.2 million Jews will die. And, so, and then when the Romans came and they entered the city, they will, <clears throat> in circumstances, the, the temple will be attacked. Titus did not want to take the temple. He did not want to set it on fire. Uh, But through circumstances, the temple gets caught on fire. Then the uh, Jews fight back even more viciously to to protect it. And then the soldiers respond. And now Titus can't control his soldiers. So they will literally burn the temple. And then they will set up their ensigns against the temple. And they will sacrifice to their gods in the Holy of Holies. That is an abomination for pagans to sacrifice in the innermost sanctuary of the temple. And that's what they did. And that is fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, the abomination of desolation. So it's all talking about this fall of Jerusalem. So this coming that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 10 is a reference to that horrifying event when apostate Israel receives its due judgment for not receiving its Messiah well let's see turn back to Matthew 10 let's see what Jesus means when he said he's sending his apostles his disciples out he says he says, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves now, what, is, uh, what is this all about Well, most would understand this as snakes are very aware of their surroundings and when given the opportunity, they'll just slither away once they perceive danger. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out. He says, beware, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. That's a very dangerous thing. And you need to be, and and the word here, by the way, it's translated for shrewdness, really uh, is often used, if you do a word study on this, to refer to being keen, being intelligent, being prudent, being wise, knowing the right thing to do at the right time. In other words, not acting foolishly. So what Jesus is saying, if I'm sending you out like sheep amongst wolves, are you going to be, I'm just going to paraphrase, are you going to be stupid, (laughs) unwise, and antagonize the wolf? Why would you want to antagonize a wolf? It's dangerous enough. Don't invite the danger. It's already there. In other words, you've got to be careful in how you deal with them. And you know the greatest example of this? is the Apostle Paul, where he said, I am all things to all men, that I may win some. Paul, as much as was possible, was very careful not to antagonize the Jews. When he went to Jerusalem, uh, he will take time to be sure that he will not give any undue offense to the Jews that would prompt them to be upset with him. What's going to happen anyway... But he's not out trying to make trouble. If I bring it up to a modern context, like I just read just recently, there's this preacher down in Florida who announced he took out 5,000 Korans and he was going to burn them. And he put it out on the internet, I'm going to burn like 5,000 Korans. Now, <laughs> now do you think the guy is acting shrewdly? It's such. Is he trying to avoid trouble? No. Hey, once the the Muslims across the seas heard about it, they reacted to the fact this guy in Florida was, was thinking about doing that. That's not acting shrewdly. Jesus says, when you go out, you need to be very wise in how you deal with men. You need to be aware of their trappings. He says you need to be understand uh, the way they will trap, try to trap you. You know how the scribes and the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus. They would bring some question to him, thinking we finally got him. We finally got him. Because there's no way we think he can go from here that, that he's going to abide the law of Moses and he would always confound them because he was smarter than they were. He was more shrewd than them. And so we see that... <clears throat> What Jesus is saying here is, be keen, have insight to your surroundings when you go out. It is a wisdom, in other words, exercise wisdom when you go preach. So they should not unduly put themselves at risk. It's going to be just the fact of preaching Jesus will get you into trouble many times. But you don't need to go out of the way. To enforce it. Not only should you be wise in your dealings, he says you're to be like a dove. And a dove is an image of innocency. And he says be without guile. Don't have any basis for them to persecute you. I mean, Peter talks about this. He says um, if you're persecuted, he says rejoice in that only if you don't deserve because of something you've said or something you've done. And so being innocent as doves would be without guile. You are not seeking to antagonize others. You are not seeking to harm others as such. You're out to preach the gospel, to call men to repentance and believe in Jesus. You're amongst wolves. Be careful how you do that. But don't back off. Don't back off from doing it. Just be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of who you're talking to. And be a a godly example before others. So, in this regard, we see that uh, Jesus says in our text, He says, they will deliver you up and they will scourge you. Now, scourge means they're going to whip you. And this is exactly what happened to several disciples. For example, in Acts chapter 4, let me just draw your attention to Acts chapter 4, I want to show you that everything that Jesus predicted is exactly how it fell out. So turn to Acts chapter 4 and let's begin at verse 1. And as they, now, this is Peter and John, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus. The resurrection from the dead, they laid their hands on them, put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about five thousand. And it came about on the next day that the rulers and elders and the scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. Did not Jesus say that the rulers are going to persecute you? He says they gathered together. And Annas, the high priest, was there, Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Did not Jesus say, I will give you in that hour what you should say? You don't need to worry about it, but the Spirit will guide you. That's exactly what it says here. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man had been made well, let it be known to you, all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, and by this name this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we may be saved. I'm going to continue. But did not Jesus say, you're going to be arrested, you're going to be brought before synagogues, you're going to be brought before governors and rulers for an opportunity for what? To bear testimony. Testimony. And what is Peter and John doing? Bearing testimony to who Jesus is. Let's continue. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to go aside out of the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. In other words, we have no answer for this. This man, something miraculous did happen to this man. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis upon which they might punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. So right here, Peter and John are arrested, threatened, don't do any more of this teaching about Jesus. Yeah, you've done a miracle, we don't know how to deal with that, but don't teach any more about Jesus. Because you're getting all these people riled up, they're believing what you have to say. Let's just move ahead for a moment to Acts chapter five, look at verses 17 and following. So obviously Peter and John, they don't stop preaching. It says here that, but the high priest, Acts five, verse 17, but the high priest rose up among with his associates that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy, and they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But an angel of the Lord during the night opened the gates of the prison and taking them out. He said, Go your way. Stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. And so we see that they go out. The angel delivers them from uh, that jail. They're out speaking about Jesus more. And then, if you pick up down here at verse 28, uh, well, verse 27, they, get, they bring them back to the council. Now, this is the ruling council of St. Edward. We gave you strict orders. "...not to continue teaching in his name, and behold, you fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and intend to bring this man's blood on us." But Peter and the apostles answered and said, "...we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross." He is the one whom God exalted to the right hand as a prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Then I'll just paraphrase what Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the great respected teachers who Saul of Tarsus will study under. Gamaliel will say, now look guys, essentially he says, If these men, if God is not with them, if they're just like some of the others that have risen up, that we dealt with, and we took them down, he says, we'll take them down. But if God is with these men, there's nothing that we can do about it. Notice what he says, uh, verse 38 of Acts 5. And so in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men, let them alone. For if this plan or action should be of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may be found fighting against God. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus and then release them. So they went their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So what we see here is they're arrested, they're interrogated by the council, Obviously, they were threatened, threatened for punishment, threatened to be flogged if they continued. They'll continue, be arrested again. They were willing to kill them, but Gamaliel talks the council out of killing them, saying, we all just let this go and see what, how this develops. Now, <clears throat> what was the penalty for all of this? Now, it says here, that in verse 40, while they didn't kill them, we're going to let you go, but it says they flogged them. That means they whipped them. Deuteronomy 25, verse 3, gave the penalty for such of those who deserved it to be given no more than 40 lashes, lest someone die. And then the one who whips can be held liable if the person dies for excessive whipping. So they stopped at 39. Let me just read what, what Paul says in Second Corinthians 11.25. You know what Paul says? I was five times beaten with 39 lashes of the Jews. Three times beaten with rods. And one time stoned and left for death. Now sometimes... We don't understand or appreciate the danger. Remember, Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves who want to destroy you. They're going to scourge you. They're going to arrest you. They will scourge you. They're going to whip you. They're going to hate you. I ran across, what would it be like to be whipped 39 times? this one 39 times. Paul endured this five times. I ran across this of a British man in 2007 in Qatar, there in the Middle East. He was accused of violating the Muslim rule on alcohol usage. He said he didn't do it. But he'll be put in jail. They will flog him 50 times for violating their, uh, what they perceived his abuse of the alcohol rule. I'm going to read you his personal testimony of what it was like to be whipped 50 times. Here's what he says. At first, the pain wasn't too much, and I could, could feel where it was hitting me. The blows were raining down on my body from the shoulder blades to the calves, then back up again. But with each blow, the skin softened, and the pain grew and grew to the point that my whole back felt like it was on fire. Soon it was unbearable, but they kept coming, mostly on my left shoulder and calf. I had to summon up all my control not to move. I didn't realize the human body could generate and tolerate such pain. I had never felt anything like it before, and I hope I will never feel anything like it again. At about 20 of the lashes, I lost count because I was in too much pain, but someone else was counting each stroke aloud in Arabic. I had to grit my teeth more and more. and screwed up my eyes. The last 10 strokes were agony, bloody agony. I thought I was going to pass out. Then just as quickly as it started, it was over. 30 to 40 seconds was all that it lasted. I was left to stagger to my feet and to walk out. The first person I saw was the prison governor, and he said, You still alive? I replied, Yes, I'm fine. I was shaking uncontrollably, but glad it was all over. A fellow inmate counted the marks on my back, and there were scores of wheels, blue and black, surrounded by yellow swellings, extremely painful. Any movement set them on fire. I couldn't lie on my back for days and two weeks. I was still in pain. Today, the scars have healed, but I will never forget the ordeal. Paul, five times. Received 39 lashes of the Jews. Can you imagine what Paul's back must have looked like? I am sending you out, my little ones, to preach my gospel. But behold, I'm sending you like sheep amongst wolves. And this is what is going to happen to you. Not maybe. This is what's going to happen to you. What we see here... You notice what John said. I mean, so what Peter and John, what they received were 39 lashes. And they walked out rejoicing that they would be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And then kept on preaching. I just say that to you, for you to graphically understand what it was like to be whipped 39 times. Remember, Jesus said in in Matthew 5, let me just read remind you what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, it says, verses 11 and 12, Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Peter and John remembered what Jesus said. So when they received those agonizing 39 lashes, they were rejoicing that they would be counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. And then, did they quit preaching? No. They got it because they were preaching. They didn't stop. Jesus said they would be brought before governors and kings and give testimony to them and the Gentiles. In the book of Acts, in Acts 23, we see that Paul is brought before Governor Felix. He's brought in jail. He has been left in jail for two years, and then Festus, the governor, will come to power. And then Paul will, since he had appealed to Caesar, when he ran into trouble in Jerusalem, he will be handed over to King Agrippa, and then we see Paul uh, giving this tremendous testimony to King Agrippa, who said, let me let's just read that because it's interesting Paul's testimony to King Agrippa. Turn with me to acts 26 look at verses twenty seven to thirty two Because he's been talking, I mean, first he's been giving his testimony of how God saved him, how he once was the great persecutor of the church, and how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then he says in verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you'll persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that whether in a short or a long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. And so, what well, we see that in Paul will, not only did he bear testimony, and remember Jesus says, you'll be delivered over to the rulers, you'll be delivered over to kings, and here's before King Agrippa. And he says, you'll, bear, you'll give testimony. You'll give testimony. And Paul was giving testimony to King Agrippa. But you know, it doesn't end with Agrippa, since he was a Roman citizen. He is eventually end up where Caesar will have to render a verdict concerning him. So he'll end up in Rome. And, and let me just turn to the book of Philippians for a moment. Well, by the way, we're told in Acts 28, first turn to Acts 28, and look at verses 30 and 31. Paul's in, uh, he's a prisoner in Rome. It's an interesting type of being in prison, because verse 30 and 31, it says, He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. You know they had Roman soldiers chained to them. (laughs) What do you think is going to be the impact of that? Well, you see the impact of that by turning to Philippians. Look at Philippians 1, verses 12 and 14. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that by my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have been far more encouraged to speak the word of God without fear. And if you jump down to verse 20... Of Philippians 1, we read, According to my earnest expectation and hope, that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on the flesh, this will be, mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose." But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart be with Christ, for that is far much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for you. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. It, it happened like Jesus said it would happen. You'll be hated by all men because of me, You'll be before councils. You'll be before uh, governors. You'll be before kings. And in the, in the ultimate king of the Roman Empire, Caesar himself. The, the Praetorian Guard will be influenced by the gospel. Now one of the things that Jesus said, He said that, uh, And did not the Spirit give Peter and John Wisdom, how to speak? Did not the Spirit give Paul wisdom, what to say to Felix, or Festus, and to others? Yes. Now, the one thing about uh, what be happening, let me just make a brief comment about it. During this whole period of time, Paul talks about it elsewhere uh, in his epistles. He says there will be come a time when love will grow cold. Uh, People will do all sorts of strange things. He says families will be divided. There will be some Christians who will be in a family and their own father will turn them in. Or a son will turn in a father. This is how bad it will get. You'll be hated by all account of my name. But he who perseveres to the end will be saved. Jesus sees his elect through to the end. He sees his faithful preachers through the end, to the end, and he says, "For all of this that's going to happen up upon you." Remember when Jesus was being, uh, he was standing with Pilate. Pilate wanted to really saw no guilt in Jesus, wanted to release him, figured I'll let the Jews release him. So you want Barabbas, and we know to be a violent man, or do you want Jesus? And the crowd said they want Barabbas. And then Pilate washed his hands says, I'm washing my hands. I'm not responsible for this. You know what the people says? May his blood, Jesus' blood, be on us and our children's children. And that's exactly what happened in 70 A.D. Jesus came and brought vengeance against all those because they refused to receive him in the day of their visitation. That's what Jesus says. I came to you. You refused to accept me in the day of your visitation. Hence, the wrath of God shall come upon you. In a terrifying way, since you have proved yourselves unworthy. Remember, Paul said to the Jews, when they kept refusing the gospel, wherever he preached, he says, You have proven yourselves unworthy, I'm going to the Gentiles. And they would believe. So, one might want to think twice about being one of Jesus' little ones. And as all preachers, they take vows, we take vows to defend the cause of Christ no matter what. Our early apostles paid a great price. Others down throughout history have paid a great price. We may still pay a great price. But praise God, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for thou art with us. As John Calvin said of all his trials, he says, He says, all that came upon him, he says, I find comfort in the fact that it is thy hand that is against me and not man's hand. He's talking about all his physical infirmities. He took comfort in the fact he was under the sovereign control of God. God watches over his little ones. The gospel of the kingdom was preached and it all fell out just like Jesus said it would happen. Such is our great God. Let us pray.